I just looked at the clock. I would love to say it's not my fault, but I'm the only one up here directing stuff, so look at the clock, would you? Thank you, Jody. Let's take our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is not a short message either. Good thing it's Food Fellowship Sunday, right? So I don't know. I don't want to jip uh, anybody out here, but I, 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 so I have a little bit of a dilemma. We'll see how it goes. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're talking here about the ministry of the Spirit. And as you come into this passage, remember, uh, I'm just going to read to bring us back up to speed. Verses 1 through 6, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6 to bring us up to speed. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some other epistle, uh, epistles of commendation to you or letter of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, writ, uh, written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as ye are manifestly de- declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in flesh, fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves as of ourselves, but our, our sufficiency is of God. Let's say it out loud again. But our sufficiency is of God. One more time. But our sufficiency is of God. Uh, God is gracious to use us. It's not because of our abilities or our strengths. Uh, God uses us in our weaknesses and all for his glory. Amen. So he's the one that makes our uh, us sufficient and he's the one that makes us us uh, acceptable in God's sight and equips us. Praise God for that. Verse 5, uh, again, what a, what a testimony of the Lord using us uh, as, as frail and fragile as we are. Verse 6, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. And this is going to be significant. It can be spiritual language that can just fly by you. But he says he's made us Able ministers of the New Testament. That's going to be key, okay? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth grace. Excuse me, giveth life. Uh, so there's a transition in verse 6 where Paul is now going to address uh, issues in the Corinthian church that have to do, obviously, with salvation. And there's a lot of deep doctrine here he's going to be addressing, especially Judaic mindsets, those that were anchored in the law. And he's going to talk about a difference between the ministration or the ministry of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant as compared to the New Testament or the New Covenant. So when you read the word testament, it's good to think of the idea of covenant or promise. What was the old promise? What is the new promise? That's what's being exemplified here, so, or at least illustrated here. So in verse 7, he's going to begin with that comparison, transitioned in verse 6, but he calls the old ministry or the ministry of the old promise something stark. He says in verse 7, but the ministration of what? The ministration of death. And that's a pretty, pretty strong language to call the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, the ministry of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the ministry of death. Uh, but he's going to explain that and help to understand that. And, and by the way, this concept is so thick through the New Testament, we just simply would not have time uh, I think we, it would be a uh, Bible study all its own over many Sundays to go over the Old Testament, uh, the law, and, and, and it's all of its implications, and now the New Testament. We're going we're gonna to kind of 
skip the rock across the surface, but I think we'll dive in too. So, all right, so, but the ministration of death is what it's called. And given to give clarity, written and engraven in stones was glorious. So he's obviously making uh, note of the Old Testament, which was given on the tablets, which Moses had of God. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Now I've kind of interspersed truth through that, but I'm gonna come back at it and, 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 and uh, attack it again if I can. But the ministry of death, the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones was what? Glorious. Now, it's a ministry, a ministration of death. It has a sentence of death embedded within it. it uh, and we're gonna explore that. But this was a, a promise given of God to his people that if they would follow his commands and live by his laws, they would be his children and he would be their father. And so much doctrine behind that, but making them his special people. And that covenant was particularly sealed or demonstrated by the outward side of male circumcision uh, as a sign of God's people, the Jews, that were, again, owned by the Lord, following the Lord. These things uh, incredibly intertwined into the promises given to Israel, given to his people, his children, that this would identify them as God's people. But this ministry that's called of death, here it says also, this ministry was glorious. Now, it gives an illustration. The illustration of that glory was in Moses' face. So it says, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. This is where the glory, or at least in part, where the glory of this giving of this promise or this covenant for, for God's people, this is where that glory shone. It shone through the messenger of God who gave that message to his people so that they could not steadfastly behold or look on the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. It, if we go back to that passage, which we will, you can go ahead and go to Exodus 34. Exodus 34, and we'll dive into that for just a moment. It says, it was a glory, and this is, I think, significant, which glory was to be done away. The reason it's significant is because, is because Paul is making a comparison between that old promise bound in the law and the new promise bound through the Spirit in Christ. Okay, he's gonna make that comparison. But he says, that glory was to be done away. Now, there, were a, there is a lot of commentary over why does Paul say this? Uh, matter of fact, it was held uh, very commonly and probably is today, to my knowledge, that um, Jews believe that Moses retained that glory uh, to his death, that it did not fade. So there's a couple different takes on this. Did his glory fade in his life? I don't, I don't really, I don't want to be disrespected, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, the point is that the glory had a time frame, whether it, whether it faded in his life or whether when he died, it ceased to be a glory that the people of Israel would see because it was no longer demonstrated to them. Either way, it was temporary. It was a temporary glory and no minor doctrinal issue. It has doctrinal significance. And by the way, whether Moses really knew it or not, but it has a doctrinal significance as it's going to play out in this passage. So the Old Covenant, 
The old promise is identified here as a ministry of death, and we're in Exodus 34. It was given with glory. Now, there's a lot we could say about this, but you know, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. Nobody was allowed to go to the mountain. There was a perimeter set so that no animal, nothing was to go to, on the mountain. What would happen if somebody was to step foot on the mountain? The, the command was what? Not that they would be killed by someone else, but that the Lord would smite them. Okay, so they would die. So nobody was to go touch foot on the mountain. It was a time where God's messenger, Moses, the leader of God's people, goes and has interaction with God to receive from God the tables of testimony. So we read here in verse 29, it came to pass, Exodus 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses wist not that he, the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were what? They were afraid to come nigh unto him. Now from there, it does seem that Moses covers his face so that the people will not be afraid to talk with him. But the point in the New Testament is that the old promise came with much glory and splendor. Not only did God overshadow Mount Sinai, and not only did God make a big exhibition of what was going on in his interaction with Moses, and that no one else was to be present but Moses and God alone, and as God gives Moses these commandments, he comes down, and not only did he have interaction with God alone on the mountain, but now he comes in the testimony of his being with God is the fact that his face shone with the glory of God. And so that was not just the idea that Moses went on the mountain, but something supernatural happens to show that Moses wasn't up on the mountain chiseling things out in stone that he was coming up with himself. But instead, the presence of God sits on the mountain so that all of Israel sees it. They witness the power of God on the mountain, and then they see the power of God in glory come down off the mountain in Moses' face. Now, a doctrine of truth is important because it was a visible understanding that Moses had met with God and now a new promise, a new covenant was given and this in essence is it. If you will follow me, I will be your God. If you will observe the things that I've written, I will be your God, you will be my children, I will bless you and, he, and all kinds of other things go along with that. If He said if they didn't, then he would bring judgment and, and, and so there's all this exhibition of the testimony of God's giving his command to his people so they would know how to follow him. Now that ministration or that ministry in verse eight back in 2 Corinthians three we come to. He makes a comparison at the end of verse seven. He says that came with glory, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the spirit be rather glorious. Another way of saying that is how shall not the ministry of the Spirit be more or even more glorious than the ministry of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant? Now, the word spirit in here in our King James Version is lowercase, and that can be confusing, and there are actually two different ways to, to understand this. It is the word pneuma. That is the Greek word and you're not gonna get uh, a discount off of Golden Corral for knowing that, okay? So the word pneuma is the Greek word for spirit. It is the Greek word that is used when you see the word applied to the Holy Spirit, 
okay? So when you read Numa and you read Holy Spirit or the Spirit in the New Testament, you are reading the word Numa. Now here is lowercase. Uh, most commentaries agree that the, the ministry of the Spirit is reference to the Holy Spirit, and the reason that would be the case is bearing out in this passage, that's the context. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the angle in which we take this understanding which we have, but there's another way to understand this as well, that there is a new ministry of the Spirit, and that is, if it was to be taken in lowercase as it were applying to you, the Lord is ministering to the Spirit of all people, a spirit, uh, the ministry of grace, that we know through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter seven. Now we're gonna bear this out throughout the message, but this ministry of the Spirit, the point being in verse eight, the ministry of the Spirit would be more glorious. My understanding of the ministry of the Spirit there is that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, okay? That his ministry under a New Testament, a new promise would be even more glorious than what was given at Mount Sinai, okay? Now, it's hard for us to do this, especially with uh, being limited with history and not being there. How do you even exhibit in our mind's eye the glory of the giving of the commandments of God? We can only read it on a page and try to imagine if we were there what that might have been like. I'd encourage you in your devotional life, go back to Exodus 34 and read how God displayed himself. It was magnificent. It was definitely catching the attention of all that were around. The glory there, however, and the exhibition there would be nothing compared to the ministry or the glory of the Spirit. So in Romans chapter seven, we begin to understand some of that when we understand the nature of the deadness of the law or how that the law, the Old Testament worked death. Verse four of Romans seven. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now are we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. There is a different promise and a different relationship based on the New Testament, based on the new covenant that God has given. Now let me reiterate this again for everyone to know this. Now I think, you know, because maybe we're in a Baptist church, uh, there's a lot of history, and not just Baptist churches, but, but any denomination. Uh, any, any religion or, or set of beliefs can be misapplied and misconstrued in history, and, and today, to be fair. But there are times in history where denominations uh, that have tried to anchor on the Bible have gotten off track and have made the following of rules, the following of standards, the following of what other people say, the standard for godliness, the standard for how to live with God. And the Bible tells us this as believers, we are new creations in Christ. We have a new relationship in Christ that is different from the relationship of the law. The freedom that we have is that we are not bound by the law and we don't live daily wondering, have I broken this law? Have I fulfilled this law? Have I done this? Do I have to make another sacrifice? Do I have to atone for this? Do I have to uh, represent my sin by another, uh, another sacrifice to the Lord by this animal or that? It's, it's a totally different 
system that God has put in place and a ministry that is done by the Holy Spirit. So it is a freedom that we have in Christ that is represented here. The deal is that Christ paid for all of our sin, but the law is not evil. The law is not a bad thing. The law has a purpose. And let's go to Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. So there's not a despising of the law. If you want to know God's character, you want to know God's person, look at how he communicated his law to his people. And I would, I would summarize the law of God in this. And this is extremely biblical. God would say, you want to know what it means to follow the law? Love me first. Loving me first settles it all. Settles it all. And yet we have a ministration of a New Testament because we are breakers of the law. We are breakers of the commandments of God. Are you a breaker of the commandments of God? Not exactly a thing you wanna say amen to, is it? Is the person next to you a breaker of the commandments of God? Ah, you feel better about it. Are they a big breaker? Oh yeah, right? See, we had freedom to say that, okay. <laughs> All of us have lied. All of us have taken God's name in vain. All of us have, have had evil intents of the heart and deed. All of us have proved that we're breakers. All of us have proved that we are sinners. Galatians 3, 21 through 29. Is law then against the promises of God? Say it, God Forbid. So do it again. Is the law then against the promises of God? Say it. God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, what does it say? Verily righteousness should have been by the law. If there was a way to be right with God through the law, there would have been a command given and we could have fulfilled it, but there is none. There is none because it is not possible that we can be right with God by the fulfilling of the law. We are Stained with sin, verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all what? Under sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Might be given to who? Might be given to who? To them that believe. Scripture's concluded all of us under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, verse 24, the law was our what? What's our other word that we would say in modern language? What would we say for schoolmaster? The law was our teacher to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by what? So the law was to do what? To magnify our sin so that we would do what? Run to Jesus, the new promise, the new testament, that we would run to him. Now, if, run to, if we run to him, what is the promise? That we would be justified by faith. So coming to Christ justifies people who are sinners, 
makes us right in God's sight. He goes on to say, speaking to the believers, hearing this, he says, for ye all are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay. I know I'm probably getting off the camera there. So, yesterday, and, and mama, if you're listening at home, you might want to change that camera. If you're listening at home, you might want to distract the little guy. So, Nora's been sick. She's been up in her room. So, uh, I'd say her room because I'm sleeping down in my office doing this. <laughs> she's up there and she's in bed and she's not feeling good. And, and I am sitting with her in a chair in our room. And downstairs, Bethany is helping Kaylee make her cake for her birthday. And Joseph's all over it. He's got his chair right up, right up to it and breathing over everything. And they're trying to keep him from touching all the stuff. Now, I don't know what all is going down there. I just know there's cake being made. But he... He comes upstairs and uh, he's sad. And I said, Joe, why are you sad? Hey, boys. I said, Joe, why are you sad? And he didn't say anything. He just came up and, uh, you know, you just see it. So why are you sad, Joe? He said, there's somebody left out of heaven. He said, there's somebody being left out of heaven. And it's me. Now you think about that. You think about that for you, the people around you. We said, Joe, do you want to go to heaven? He said, I want to go to heaven. We walk him through the gospel. By the way, I've asked the church, stupid snowflake. <laughs> I've asked the church to be in prayer for Joe that he had come to know Christ. I appreciate the ministry of my own kids pointing Joe to Jesus. Now, I don't know. Uh, he's a funny little bird. Got boys, you know, you know. He wanted to go to his bed and pray and we tried to talk him into staying in the room with us so that mama wouldn't have to get out of bed, but he wouldn't have any of it. So he went to his bed and mom mustered the strength to go sit there in his bed with him and, and uh, we prayed with Joe. Now I don't pretend to think that he won't need more instruction and I don't, I, I, you know, all I can say and pastorally, I would, I would, if I had the same interview with Kid, based on what I saw yesterday, as far as I understand, I, I believe that boy's going to heaven. <laughs> but I, I love this part. I was, talking to, I was talking to him about, well, what would you pray and, and, and what are you asking God to do? And, and so I'm telling him and talking with him. And, and at some point he looks at me and says, that's a lot of words. <laughs> he doesn't appreciate it any more than you do. 
all these many words. This is what we know. The scriptures tell us any one of us that come to faith in Christ are justified. All of our sin is gone. By the way, I asked him if he was a sinner. <clears throat> he said, yes. I said, well, like, how have you sinned? Didn't take out the trash. <laughs> it's like, all right, whatever. We just keep preaching the gospel. Keep pointing to Christ, amen? Point to Christ, point to Christ, point to Christ, point to Christ, because that's the promise. That's the promise. I'm gonna tell you, I'm, I'm stuck again. I have no idea what to do right now. I have no idea what to do. Um, <laughs> we are barely into these notes. And I can totally pick up with this next week I'm not hungry. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to short you, but I also, I'm not going to short this passage either. And it doesn't mean even if I stop now, we're not shorting the passage. The good thing about the Word of God, it's here today and going to be there tomorrow too, right? So that's a good thing. But I, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to just kind of let today settle. And we can come back at this next week. And i tell you why. First of all, we've heard from Simon and Emma, and I think their testimony of being surrendered to go on the mission field is a good message for today. What we're talking about is the message that you carried to Mexico, but it's the message that we're carrying right here. I, am gonna, I, I can give you a couple of illustrations that will help you to know, at least even by testimony, why this is germane, why this, why this is so real to where we are. So I am, this last week, up at the Capitol. I'm in a building across the street, and I'm talking to a bunch of teenagers, and like I said, we have legislators come in and talk with the kids. We're purposeful. We don't have everybody that always agrees with us in. We actually had the um, House Minority Leader come in, and it was interesting. So she gave her own testimony as to why she was in government. Here's what she said. The most powerful thing on the planet is, think in your mind, don't say it, fill in the blank. The most powerful thing on the planet is what? Well, her statement was, Government. Now, believer, do you have a reaction to that? My reaction to that is, psh. <laughs> Whatever. But in her life, she came from a low economic background. Literally, her mom was living in a car when she was born. And she looked at all the government programs that saved her. And therefore, she wants to see programs be available to save others. Now, by the way, I don't mean to get into politics. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I, again, praise God for all of the kindness of the United States 
and yet we know that dollars don't fix this country. But here's what we certainly know. There isn't any government on this planet that's here today that's gonna save this planet and save the people in it. Matter of fact, don't you kind of think, and by, I'm not, I don't mean, we do, I, I think if you were to spend a week up there like I did and listen to the hearts of these legislators, it would give you a lot more grace for what's being said on Facebook. It's too easy to put a label on somebody and once you get that label on them to see them as an enemy. I, I, I might do this on Tuesday night, but I, I taught a devotional that morning about the principle of love and that we're to love people and especially for our legislators, we're to pray for them. Doesn't mean we believe they're always right and I think we can stand against things that are against the Lord and against truth, that's, but we can do it in a way that honors Christ and that's where we're missing the boat. But listen to this. She referenced another politician and she said, you know, one thing I've learned is there are, never, there are no forever friends and no forever enemies. She said because, and she named the name of another legislator and she said, that legislator, lady, she said, is my enemy on everything that I do. We never vote the same. But you know, my daughter was doing a project in the house where she was for school, uh, some project where she was going to cook cactus. And with the oil on the stove, the oil caught fire and went, kind of splattered all over. Mom ran in and she got third degree burns all over her body. It was, and it was this other legislator who's always her enemy who drove four hours to come see her in the hospital and she took time to tell us that because what she did is she built a bridge by demonstrating love. Now that's what we're called to do in Christ. Do people see Christ? Do they see the new promise, the new testament, the new covenant that God has made that all of us are sinners and can be forgiven? I listened to another legislator stand before everyone and say, look, we're all working to get there, those pearly gates. And they said this. We're all working to get there in those, to those pearly gates. We're hoping that maybe we, we will, maybe we never know, none of us ever knows if we will, but we, we're hoping. Now, is that what the Bible teaches? Absolutely not. Why? There is no good deed or some of them that makes us fit for heaven. It is all what? The sufficiency of Christ. It's all the promise of God in him. It's a glorious testament because as Moses' glory faded, this glory that is given through the spirit never ends. So consider this today, a tickler to the study ahead.